Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 15. Chief Jackson has stopped thinking about himself. He focused on one person. His son. Never in his life had he been so determined to see anyone safe. He would not lose his son, not to those dogs, not to a vampire or whatever it was, not to anyone. His son was all he had left in the world. The car's engine shrieked as he accelerated up the steep hill leading to Jubilee. Anger pressed on his heart. Someone should have burned that goddamn house down a long time ago. When this was all over, he might just do the deed himself. At the crest of the hill... He veered on the Mason Road, tires screaming. He saw the deputy's cruiser ahead, lodged in the ditch. The spinning tires threw a shower of dirt in the air. Three big dogs swarmed on the vehicle, like wolves eager to tear apart a lame deer. Jackson loved animals, but he itched to blast these hounds to hell. He skidded to a stop in the middle of the road. He grabbed his Remington 12-gauge shotgun. Hunched atop the car, the canines glowered at him. He remembered seeing those hellish things when he had visited Jubilee earlier. They weren't dogs anymore. He could blow them away with impunity. He banged open the door and braced his arms in the crevice between the door and the car. A dog jumped off the cruiser and ran at him. You might be mad, Mutt, but you ain't half as mad as I am. Jackson had always been a crack shot having lived around guns all his life. This time was no exception. He pulled the trigger and drilled the dog in the chest. The hound squealed and rolled backwards across the asphalt like tumbleweed blown in the wind. One down, two to go. The other two animals were undeterred by their fallen packmate. They leapt off the car and raced across the road after Jackson. Jackson squeezed off two more shots hitting the animal squarely in the chest. They flopped to the ground, squirming and howling. Their cries of agony touched them for a moment. They sounded so much like ordinary dogs. But they aren't, and they were going to rip my kid to shreds, he reminded himself. The creature stopped moving and fell silent. Jackson lowered the smoking shotgun. All clear, son, he shouted. 
The cruiser's door flew open. Jalil staggered out of the vehicle. He fell to his knees, doubled over, and vomited in the grass. Jackson rushed to him. It's alright. Jackson patted the boy's back. Those mutts are dead. I've never been so scared, Jalil said, gasping. He wiped his mouth with his shirt. They scared the shit out of me. Sorry. Hell, I'm the one who should be apologizing. I was something less than a man back there at the station, and I'm sorry. My fault you got into this. You were being brave. Jalil shrugged. Someone had to help the deputy. He looked at the mansion. I don't know where to do is. I haven't heard anything else from him. Jackson spat on the ground. Fear of what awaited them inside the house chewed at him, but he pushed it away. He was not going to be stopped again. We got to go in there and get him. Hell no, Jalil said. Sorry, Dad, but that's nuts. The dude told me that he saw one of those vampires watching him through a window. He saw the tall guy who's always wearing black. I know vampires are supposed to stay in their coffins during the day, but he wasn't asleep. Son, I can't leave my deputy to die like I couldn't leave you. Yeah, but I wasn't in there. Jalil pointed at the house. There were more of those vampiric dogs running around the yard up there too. We'd need an army to make a move on that place. You and I can't do it alone. Yeah, Jackson spat again. Makes a lot of sense. We should go back to the station and hit up that guy David and the woman, Naya. We need them to help us come up with the plan. They figured out all of this stuff already. Later, we could round up some people and storm the mason crib to get to do. If he's still alive. Smart plan, but I'd hate to leave my man up there. Then try him on the radio, Jalil said. Jackson clicked on his walkie-talkie. He called for the deputy. Several attempts yielded only flat static. He's gone, Jalil said. I hate to say it, Dad, but I can feel it. Jackson put away the radio. All right, we're going to follow your plan. But we're coming back later for my deputy. Jalil was about to say something when he looked behind Jackson. His eyes grew as large as golf balls. Jackson turned. The dogs were stirring. Their legs trembled. Their jaws clenched and unclenched, and their eyes blinked as though they were awakening from a nap. But the blood was still damp on their gunshot chests. A numbing coldness came over Jackson. That ain't possible, Jackson said. It ain't. I plugged each of them in the heart with a 12-gauge. Groaning, one of the dogs drew his legs under his body, preparing to stand. Jackson and Jalil ran to his car. Look at that, Jalil said when they were locked inside the cruiser. All of them are getting up. Jackson saw it, and it hit him, really hit him, that they were dealing with something supernatural. He couldn't dance around the subject and put a nice, acceptable label on it. He had flattened those dogs himself, and now they're on their feet again, resurrected. How am I going to protect folks against this, he thought. They didn't talk about nothing like this at the police academy. The hounds gathered together and faced the car. They growled. Fresh saliva drooled from their lips. Let's get out of here, Jalil said. The dogs took off towards them. 
Jackson hit the gas, and they didn't look back. That is quite a story, Franklin said. A spasm of coughs rattled his body. It took him a minute to speak again. I believe you and Miss James had cleverly solved the puzzle of the vampires that had arisen in Dark Corner. David was pleased to win Franklin's approval. We took your ideas and ran with them, that's all. We couldn't have done it without you. It's too bad Chief Jackson doesn't believe us, Naya said. She sat near Ruby on the other side of the bed. Her lips curled in disdain. What a bull-headed man. He'll come around, Franklin said. He won't have any choice. Events will soon be building to a head. What makes you say that, David said. Franklin closed his eyes. His voice lowered to a whisper. He seemed to be in a trance-like state. I'm changing. Oh yes, I am. I sense Diallo's desires. The way a servant intuits the ambitions of his master. Diallo is cultivating a fearsome army that he will unleash on this town very soon. David bent forward. How can we beat him? Franklin's eyes snapped open. He blinked. What did you say? How can we beat the vampires? Pardon me. I don't know what I was saying. I must have lost my bearings for a moment. Franklin appeared confused. He sighed. I suggest you speak to Pearl. With her talents, perhaps she could find a way. Doubt must have covered David's face, because Franklin clutched David's hand. You're going to prevail, David. You were brought here to fulfill your family's legacy. It's your destiny to succeed. Franklin, I don't know. We piece together a lot, but at the same time, I feel like we don't have a clue about how we'll beat this thing. Franklin... I don't know. We piece together a lot, but at the same time, I feel like we don't have a clue about how we'll beat this thing. Let go of your doubt. Everything will become clear. You must have faith. Franklin's eyes drilled into David. His worry voice is only a weak imitation of how it used to be, but the underlying, grave seriousness of his tone could not be more riveting. Listen. You originally came to Dark Corner to unravel the mystery of your father, and you've learned little about him that satisfies you. Why? Because you do not need to understand your father in order to be complete. You will not discover any keys in your father's life that will unlock secrets in your own heart. Let go of doubt and worry. Let it go, son. God is lighting your path and will grant you all that you require to fulfill your destiny and lead a life of which you can be proud. You aren't half a man, David, as you once called yourself. You're all the man that you'll ever need to be. You will prevail. David bowed his head. Franklin's words sliced like a paring knife into his heart. He had been given similar pep talks before, from his mother, intended to make him feel good about his fatherless life. When he was a kid, it was common for him to hear such praise as, You're a great boy. Don't let your father's absence bother you. It's not your fault. You're going to be a success without him. Then, as he matured into adulthood, the compliments became, You're a strong, responsible man who's made your family proud. You did it without your father. Be proud of yourself, because we are. And David was proud of what he had become and accomplished. But occasionally, doubt surfaced. What had he missed by growing up without a father? Would he be a better man if his father had been there for him? 
If he ever had a son of his own, would he know how to be a father to his child? In spite of the nurturing his family had given him all his life, those doubts festered like weeds in his soul. It took coming a dark corner to delve into his father's life. It took being compelled to fulfill a terrifying family duty. It took hearing an exhortation from Franklin Bennett, a man he'd known only for a brief time, a man who exemplified the virtues that David held dear, a man poised on the edge of a supernatural metamorphosis. It took all those things for David to break down. At last, David wept, and they were tears of purification, tears of relief. Comforting hands rested on his shoulders. Naya. He put his arms around her waist and pulled her to him, his wet face dampening her blouse. We're going to do this, she said softly. You and me together. Watch us. David dried his eyes, sniffled. I'm okay. Really, I am. I need to hear that. Thank you, Franklin. Franklin smiled weakly. I want you to promise me one thing, David. Whatever it is, I'll do it, David said. Promise me that when I become a vampire, you'll destroy me yourself. Franklin, I can't. Please. Franklin squeezed David's hand. Promise me. It's not going to come to that, David said. He exhaled a deep breath. But okay, I promise. Thank you. He released David's hand. As if a button in his brain had been pressed, Franklin immediately fell asleep. Head turned to the side, lips parted, arms slack. He looked to David like a corpse in a coffin. He's gone, David thought. When he opens his eyes again, he isn't going to be a man anymore. God, I don't want to see him like that. Ruby dabbed her eyes with a Kleenex. She knew it too. Her sense of her husband's passing human life would be sharper than David's. Living with someone for over 40 years would afford a psychic bond. Ruby, David said, do you think it's safe for you to stay here? I won't leave my husband, she said. We understand, Naya said. This hospital won't be safe by the evening, Ruby said. Eight patients were admitted this morning who'd been bitten. Eight, David said. More are probably still in their homes, Ruby said. Doctor doesn't have a clue as to what's happening to him. He thinks it's a strange kind of virus. In a way, it is, Naya said. You two better get on getting on, Ruby said. You're going to have your hands full by tonight. They hugged Ruby, asked her to call if she needed anything, and left the room. In the parking lot, David and Naya got into the SUV. Where are we going next? Naya said. Or do I already know the answer? You do, he said. Okay, Pearl's place is only ten minutes away. On their way back to the station, Jackson drove, and Jalil used his cell phone to try and call the hunter boy or the James girl. Jackson had wasted enough time sitting around with his thumb stuck up his butt. It was time to make plans and take action. Neither one of them are home, Dad, Jalil said. Now what? Jackson tapped the steering wheel. Try the hospital. Have him buzz Doc Bennett's room. Jalil got Ruby Bennett on the line and handed the phone to Jackson. She didn't sound good at all. 
He felt like an ass for doubting the story the kids had told him this morning. While Ruby was suffering at the bedside of her sick husband, he had been sitting there in the office, denying the obvious. David and I are on their way to visit Pearl, Ruby said. They left a short while ago. Gotta find him right away, Jackson said. Thank you, Ruby. I'm praying for Doc Bennett. So am I, Chief, she said. Jackson tossed his cell phone into Jalil's hands. He executed a U-turn in the middle of Main Street. Where are we going, Jalil said. Going to see Pearl. That psychic woman, Jalil said, eyes wide. Yep. Why? Hunter and James are going to be there. What are they going to see her for? Guess we'll find out when we get there. Do you believe she's a real psychic? Jackson glanced at Jalil. Right now, son, I'm ready to believe damn near anything. I knew you would be coming again, David Hunter, Pearl said. She invited them inside her house. I knew Naya would be with you, too. Is there anything you don't know? David said. This woman continued to amaze him. Pearl's face darkened. Knowledge can be a frightening thing sometimes. Ignorance can be bliss, if only for a short while. We know what you mean, Naya said. We learned more than we wanted to know about what's happening in this town. Pearl beckoned them into the living room. Please, make yourselves comfortable. We'll have more guests soon. We will, David said. I'm preparing a pot of chamomile tea. Pearl said, avoiding his question with a gracious smile. It will be ready in a moment. She vanished into the kitchen. David and I had traded puzzled glances. They settled on the sofa. It was a small but comfortable living room. Furniture in soothing earth tones, glass tables, brass lamps. African masks adorned the walls. An intricately carved wooden statue stood on the end tables and floor. A faintly sweet incense scented the air. A clock on the wall ticked away to seconds. It was a quarter to eleven, only late morning, but David felt as though time was racing. He dreaded the thought of nightfall and what it might bring. Pearl returned, carrying a silver tray on which stood five ceramic mugs and a tea kettle. She placed the tray on the coffee table and began to pour tea. Outdoors, a car pulled into the driveway. Through the thin curtains, David glimpsed the shape of a patrol car beacon. Is that the chief? Naya said. I don't believe it. Pearl smiled mysteriously and went to open the door. Chief Jackson and his teenage son Jalil came inside. Both of them looked weary, and David instantly knew that they had suffered through something related to the madness in town. He recognized in them the turbulent emotions that he struggled with himself. The chief removed his hat and looked gravely at Naya and David. We gotta talk, folks. That's why all of us have come together here, Pearl said. Please have a seat, take a cup of tea, and we'll begin. Jackson and the boy slumped on the overstuffed chairs. Each of them expelled heavy sighs and took the tea Pearl offered. They were so obviously father and son in their mannerisms that David almost laughed. Why are y'all here, Jackson said. I thought y'all had pulled everything together. You laid it out pretty nice this morning. You believe us now, David said. The deputy and I went up to the Mason place after you guys left the station, Jalil said. 
I stayed in the car, and the dude went to check out the crib. When he was up there, some dogs came after him. Oh no, Naya said. I radioed Dad, and then, when I was going to go help the dude, some more dogs came after me, Jalil said. I got back in the car and hid out, and Dad came up there and shot the mutts. And a few minutes later, those mutts rose up, Jackson said, visibly disturbed. I hit each of them in the chest with a 12-gauge shotgun, and they got up. After I saw that, well, I knew y'all were right. Apologize for being so stubborn this morning. Thank you, Chief, Naya said. She touched his arm. We need you on our side. Jackson nodded solemnly. It's my duty to protect and serve this town. I'm ready to do my job. What about the deputy, David said. Have you heard anything from him? Not since he went into that house, Jackson glumly stared into his tea. Couldn't get him on the radio. What do you think, Jalil asked Pearl. You're a psychic. Is the do alive? Sitting in her chair, Pearl had folded her legs under her crisscross applesauce. She looked like a life-size porcelain doll. I'm sorry. Raymond Dedu is dead, she said. Diallo killed him. Jackson swore softly. How do you know, David said. We never told you the vampire's name. Pearl closed her eyes. These past several days, I spent many hours in meditation, seeking direction. Last night, I decided to penetrate the consciousness of the creature responsible for the evil rampant in Dark Corner. I secretly immersed myself in his mind. That sounds dangerous, Naya said. Could he find out that you've been probing into his thoughts, or whatever you call it? Possibly, yes, Pearl said. It's a risk that I was prepared to take, for the welfare of all. What else you know about him? Jackson hunched forward, hands cupped around the mug. David leaned forward too, the tea forgotten. His thirst for knowledge surpassed his desire for any drink. Eyes closed, Pearl swayed slowly as she spoke as if listening to the music that only she could hear. Her soft voice was hypnotic. Some of this you have already learned. Diallo was a prince in Mali, a mighty warrior with a taste for violence and vengeance. Upon losing a battle, he was captured, sold to slave traders, and shipped to America. He could not tolerate serving as a slave. He fought his masters viciously, and the resistance culminated in the murder of an overseer, such a crime demanded that he be put to death. But Diallo was saved from his punishment by an ancient vampire. David thought of the raven and the ethereally beautiful black woman who had visited him in a dream and healed his ankle. The ancient one's name is Leisha, Pearl said. She is very old. Indeed, her age is a mystery. She invited Diallo to be her companion, to become a vampire and he accepted. They moved to New Orleans and lived there safely for many years, but Diallo, though he was no longer a man, never set aside his mortal memories. He despised white men for enslaving him and his people. He despised his own people for submitting to slavery. He had come to hate all mankind. I believe he is tormented by something else, as well, that fuels his rage, but the answer eluded me. The end result is that Diallo decided to use his powers as a vampire to wage war against man.
Leisha knew of Diallo's mission, but she was unable to persuade him to set aside his hatred. He left her while she was with child. Kyle, Naya said, the vampire that we've seen. Yes, Pearl said. While Leisha was pregnant with Kyle, Diallo built an army of vampires. They went on a rampage across the south, attacking plantations and killing Negro slaves, whites, and Indians. No humans escaped their wrath. They slaughtered hundreds, and the bloodshed might have continued for years, had not William Hunter, David's ancestor, led a courageous mission to defeat Diallo. The others in the room looked at David. Entombed in a cave, Diallo slept in a grave for over 150 years, she said. Vampires have the ability to hibernate for long periods, but the longer the sleep, the longer the recuperation process. Somehow, perhaps from his mother, Kyle learned of his father's whereabouts, and he came to our town to awaken his father. For several days now, Kyle has been capturing innocents in Dark Corner. He has been feeding them to his father to revitalize them. Diallo, like all vampires, feed on blood. How many people so far, Jackson said. I've gotten reports of five missing. There are more, Pearl said. I do not know the precise number, but some disappearances have gone unreported. Diallo's been feeding nightly, sometimes twice a night. Jackson's lips puckered sourly. Diallo's thirst for violence is unquenchable. Once he's at full strength, he will launch an attack on the town. When, David said. Perhaps tomorrow, Pearl said. Perhaps tonight. He will wait until dusk, though he, like all true vampires, can walk in daylight by dressing appropriately. But he's more comfortable in darkness. They are nocturnal creatures. What's up with these vampires, Jalil said. Are they just like they are in the movies? Not exactly, Pearl said. As I said, by dressing appropriately, they can walk in sunlight. Ultraviolet light irritates their skin, but it does not kill them. Crucifixes, holy water, and other religious symbols do not harm them. These creatures are not anti-Christian creations spawned by a fallen angel. Consider them as a separate species. First and foremost, they are predators. Humans are their primary source of food. They feed on our blood. All of them were silent, absorbing Pearl's words. David clasped his hands, listening. There are two kinds of vampires, Pearl said. Diallo and his son, Kyle, are the first kind. They are high-level vampires, purebloods, if you will, and possess extraordinary strength and talents. There are not many such vampires. As I understand it from skimming Diallo's thoughts, the process for a human to become one of these creatures is dangerous, lengthy, and usually fatal. Diallo barely survived the transformation himself. The second kind of vampire is more common. They are called Valdue. They possess their critical faculties and can behave at a functional level, but they are under the influence of the master vampire who created them. They do not have any supernatural talents, but they are physically powerful and can recuperate from injuries that would destroy a normal human. They feed on blood as well. When Diallo went on his bloody rampage across the south, he had a horde of Valdue with him. I must not forget the vampiric dogs. These mutant canines are especially useful to Diallo. They serve as spies and guardians, and they can be active during daylight hours. 
when they travel in packs, they make vicious adversaries too. These lower level vampires and dogs are far less dangerous than Diallo, but they pose a threat because their numbers can grow rapidly. The infection can spread via a bite or blood. The substance carries a life force of the master vampire, ensuring that all that are infected fall under his influence. You can imagine how he could build a powerful army in a short time frame. It's already building, David said. This morning, Ruby told us that there were eight people in the hospital who had been bitten. Eight, Jackson said. Christ. Those are only the cases we know about, Naya said. Other folks can be at home, in bed, thinking that they've only caught the flu or something. We have no way of knowing how many people are infected. Diallo is the source of the disease, Pearl said. He's like a power generator. The vampires that he creates cannot exist without his life force. Destroy him and his army, both canine and human alike, will fall. Sounds good, but how do we do that, Naya said. Chief Jackson said he tagged those dogs with a shotgun, and a few minutes later, they got up. Jackson and Jalil nodded vigorously. Gunfire can halt them temporarily, but it cannot kill them, Pearl said. Passion infused her voice. You must burn these creatures. Burn them to ashes. Nothing else will suffice. Sounds like we need some flamethrowers, Jackson said. Shit. Fire is all that will work, Pearl said. I wish it were easier, but it is not. But from what you told us, David said, our best chance is to just kill Diallo. If we can do that, the others will be taken care of too. Wait, aren't y'all forgetting something? Jalil said. Those other vamps are people that we know. Like my boy, T-Bone. He was bitten by a mutt last night and nobody's been able to find him since. You're saying that if we kill the head guy... Everyone who's been bitten will die too? If they've been through the complete mutation, yes, they will, Pearl said. It's unfortunate, and that's why you have to do your work quickly, to save others from the same fate. That really sucks, Jalil said. It ain't fair. Jalil raises an important point, Pearl said. The most difficult task will prove to be facing those that you know personally who have degenerated into vampires. Your mother your best friend. These people may become your enemies. You must realize they are no longer the ones that you love. They're monsters. Any way you look at it, we got to take care of them, Jackson said. We let them alone, they'll be coming after us. Taking out Diallo sounds like the way to get to the heart of things. It is, Pearl said, but Diallo is cunning and powerful, more powerful than you can fathom. You make it sound like we don't stand a chance against him, Naya said. Sadness tinted Pearl's eyes. Naya, I cannot lie to you. Destroying Diallo will prove to be the most difficult task any of you will undertake in your lives. He is a brutal, merciless creature with considerable power. For instance, when a human is bitten by one of his Valdue, it takes hours for the victim to mutate into a vampire. But if Diallo delivers a bite, it takes only minutes. Remember that. We sure will, David said. He possesses other talents that I cannot even imagine, Pearl said. You must prepare yourselves. But if we burn his ass up, he's dead, Jalil said. It will not be so simple, Pearl said. I warn you, don't underestimate him or his son either. 
Kyle is a worthy foe in his own right, and he'll fiercely protect his father. You're right, David said. We can't forget about Kyle. If it hadn't been for the raven that sent the bats to chase him away, we'd be dead. The raven is a tool of Alicia, Pearl said. She uses the bird from afar, like one of us might use a puppet. I sense that she's many miles away, perhaps overseas. Why does she help us? David said. Leisha wishes to destroy Diallo, Pearl said. She regards him as a threat, like a renegade who must be squelched. Vampires thrive in anonymity, and their numbers are few. She worries that the attention Diallo will attract by starting a war will endanger their existence. Kind of makes sense, Jackson said. Can't stay secret if one of your fellows is raising Cain. Leisha will assist you again, I believe, but I cannot say when or what form her aid will take. Do not put your trust in her, I warn you. I feel that she has her own motives that do not necessarily concern your ultimate well-being. David nodded grimly. The help from the mysterious being had seemed too good to be true. Is that everything then? Jalil said. It's 1130. We need to get busy. It's not everything, Pearl said. She focused on David. David Hunter, be careful. More than anyone else, you're a target for Diallo and his son, for you are the descendant of the man who conquered Diallo. Anyone who keeps company with you will also be at an extreme risk. She looked at Naya. We'll be careful, David said, and Naya touched his hand. Jackson finished off his tea and set the mug on the table. All right, let's head out and get cracking. I'm going to get some top folks on the horn. The mayor, Reverend Brown, and the county sheriff for starters. We're going to put our heads together and come up with a plan to keep folks safe. Something we could roll out in a town meeting. We got to inform folks, officially. And we got to do it today, holiday or not. That would be wise, Pearl said. You're going to tell people that vampires are here, Dad? Jalil said. No one will believe that. Nah, they sure wouldn't. Not without some proof. I've been listening to what y'all said about how it's like an infection. Think we can use a medical angle, something about a virus maybe, to get folks to be careful and watch out for one another. Get Franklin's physician involved, David said. His name's Dr. Hess Green, I think. He's seen the symptoms of what happens when someone's bitten. He could give you some medical backup. Know the man? Lives over on Olive Road. I'll jot his name on my list. Jackson had taken out a pocket notepad and scribbled on it. We want to help too, Naya said. Shoot, I need most of y'all, Jackson said. Goes without saying that you're helping. Pearl smiled. She unfolded her legs and stood. I believe that I played my part. All of you sound as though you're prepared to move forward. There's only one thing left to do. She motioned for them to stand. Gather in a circle, please. Hold the hand of the person next to you. They formed a circle around the coffee table. David holding Naya's hand on one side and Jalil's on the other. Jalil held his father's hand. Jackson held Pearl's. Pearl held Naya's. I can never send you into the world to face this adversary without a prayer, Pearl said. I don't care about your religious beliefs or lack thereof. I request that you set aside your doubts and negative past experiences and allow the loving spirit of the creator to fill your heart. Brother Hunter... Will you please lead us in prayer? She looked at him with her clear, perceptive eyes and nodded slightly, as if to say, 
Yes, I called on you. It's your time. Then she closed her eyes and bowed her head. David swallowed. He'd rarely led prayer for a group, except at dinner for family gatherings. His mind was devoid of a single coherent thought. Everyone had closed their eyes and lowered their head. The only noise in the room was the sound of five people breathing softly. David's gaze skipped to the front window. A large monarch butterfly had attached itself to the glass. Sunlight shimmered on its delicate, colorful wings. He exhaled and closed his eyes. The words came without any conscious effort, a passage from the book of Psalms. His mother had taught him to recite the verses when he was a child and would occasionally awaken at night, frightened by bad dreams. Although he had not read the psalm in many years, he remembered it completely. His voice, threaded with cautious hope, resonated through the air. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. As everyone left Pearl's house, David hung behind the others and turned to Pearl. What are you going to do? David said. Are you coming in town later for the meeting? I'm going to stay here, she said. You'll do fine without me. I have faith in you. Thank you so much for your help. We couldn't do what we have to do without you. She smiled. You should marry her. Who? He chuckled. Naya was in the driveway, climbing into the SUV. Do you see it in our future? Pearl laughed. I was speaking as a woman, not as a clairvoyant. The two of you are a beautiful couple, inside and out. We'll see what happens. I'm not ruling out anything. Spoken like a true brother afraid of commitment. Pearl laughed again. She took his hands in her small fingers. Blessings to you, David Hunter. He kissed her on the cheek, then walked down the porch steps. The chief's car idled at the mouth of the driveway. They would follow him to police headquarters. What were you two gabbing about, Naya said. Oh, nothing really. David shifted in the drive. I was thanking her for helping us. That's all, huh? Naya said. That's all. He rolled down the driveway. So why are you grinning like that? He winked. Wouldn't you love to know? As they turned off the gravel path and onto the road, a cocker spaniel with a mud-splattered coat dashed across the street and burrowed into the thick bushes that flanked the road. David's smile slipped away. Are you thinking the same thing I am? Naya said. Worry clouded her eyes. Yeah, he said. We're being watched. Back at the police station, his head ready to blow up from everything Pearl had told them, Jackson threw the town's machinery into high gear. Upon arriving at the office, he hoped in vain to see Dedue's cruiser in the parking lot and his deputy inside, lanky legs propped on his desk as he flipped through one of his silly tabloids. But the deputy was not there. Jackson made a mental note to return to the Mason place later to retrieve Dedue's patrol car. He sure wasn't looking forward to that trip. He settled behind the desk and began to work the phone. As he made calls, David, Naya, and Jalil sat around a table and brainstormed the design of an informational flyer that they could distribute throughout the town.
Jackson spoke to the mayor, Cleotis Davis. Reverend Brown, pastor of New Life Baptist, the biggest church in town. The Chester County Sheriff, Johnny Chaser, and then Dr. Green. He was amazed at how easily he got in touch with everyone. For once, things seemed to be going their way. All right, folks, he said to the others. Everyone will be here in an hour. Looks like the show's on the road. It better be. It's already past noon, Naya said. I checked the paper. The sun sets at around 8.15. We have a lot to do in only eight hours, and time is flying. Hey, everyone, check this out, Jalil said. He watched the small TV that stood on the deputy's desk. Jackson, David, and Naya came behind Jalil. It was a local weather program. A severe thunderstorm was gradually rumbling towards the area. It will reach them by nightfall. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Then copy that and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then copy that and leave a review on Good Pods. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out on Good Pods and on Podchaser. We appreciate both. Um... You could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast, uh, also at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast, and on the Good Pods app in the tip jar. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because a thunderstorm generally brings rain, and with rain, you can't use fire. Thank you all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. The intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.